Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Hey, this is Brandon Sanderson, author of Mistborn. Welcome to the Legendarium. Today we start our Mistborn series. Ryan Todd and I will talk about sections 1 through 3 of The Final Empire, the first book in Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn trilogy. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, guys, welcome. Hey. Hi, Hey, uh, so, <laughs> stereo. Just a problem. Let's, let's do a quick intro of our panel here on my right. His guns are so big, he sank my battleship. It's Todd Wenty. I was sure you were going to be talking about me. D5. I'm sure you were going to be talking D5. On my left, his feet are so hairy, he's a walking fire hazard. Ooh. It's Ryan Ooh. Bruckman. It's a birth defect. Leave it alone. <laughs> and last week I cut my hair, thus losing the source of all my power. I am Craig Hanks. <laughs> Is that what the source of your power was? It was. It's, wow. My life the last couple of weeks has just been bad. Um, but I, you know, I'm I'm a little less suave now than I was the last time you were in here. Uh, Todd. Yeah, just a little, just a little, only a little. So, uh, like you guys heard at the beginning, um, we are doing Mistborn. Yay! And uh, we. We Who ran was that in, guy again? <laughs> that was Brandon Sanderson, um, who what a was stud. he was a super stud. We found him at Comic Con, and he uh, he not only did that intro for us, but uh, he agreed to sign a book for one lucky Legendarium listener. Ooh! Uh, so we've got that personalized by him, and we are getting ready to give that away. So uh, if you are not following us on Facebook, do so now. Uh, find us on Twitter as well. Uh, we will be hosting our Mistborn signed copy giveaway. Uh, so, yeah, you better tune in for that. Um, and may the best nerd win. I'm hoping it's my wife. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, let's see. Today today we are talking about Mistborn, the final empire. Next week we'll be concluding Mistborn. The Final Empire. I, I keep forgetting that's really the title of the trilogy. It is, it is. Um, and then, so the week after next, we are bringing back Matt Woolley, should, you know, scheduling hold. Uh, he was here for our uh, fairy tales, The Darker the Better. He's coming back for comic books are good for kids' brains. Which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, me too. It yes. was That was the panel that I uh, moderated for him at FantasyCon back yeah. in July. Uh, and it was fantastic. Looking I, forward I was to enthralled it. the whole time. Looking um, forward to it. So uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, The Final Empire. We are doing sections one through three. It's a book that's split up into five sections. Uh, so this is a little more than half the book uh, mm-hmm. that we're talking about today. Uh, now, uh, this is... So I, I've written out our little uh, 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 recap here of what we read. So this is parts one through three in which we see the birth, growth, and apparent death of the Rebellion of the Ska, the docile peasant class against the Lord Ruler. At least this particular iteration of the Rebellion. The the Lord Ruler is the notably absent pseudo-deity who rules with an iron fist, largely through an elite noble class. Did he say pseudo-deity? Yes. Uh, Vin, 
Vin is a ska, and she is our petite heroine. She sees herself as uh, as riffraff, street rat, but we don't buy that. Uh, <laughs> How long did you work on that? She, and How long did you work on that line? We don't buy that, and neither does Kelsier, the honorable wow. thief who takes her under his wing. Uh, they are both mistborn. He is the veteran, she's the novice, and he schools her in the peculiar art uh, that the Mistborn have, uh, burning metals to enhance their physical and psychic abilities, I including show you the world. <laughs> turning oneself into a human <laughs> magnet, uh, which wow. I think is pretty cool. Uh, anyway, back to that revolution. Kelsier <laughs> and his merry band of thieves take on a job sponsored by the pathetically small and underfunded Ska Rebellion to overthrow their god king. They recruit a decent army, they set the aristocratic families against each other while sending Vin as a spy into their midst. What they didn't count on was that one of those aristocrats would be really, really ridiculously good-looking and he would take a liking to Vin, so we'll have to see where that one goes. Um, that was nicely done. Really, really good-looking. You think he looks like you, don't you? Well, I, you I mean... You think that he is all about you, don't you? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> uh, so that should bring us pretty close to the end of part three. Um, we still, let's see, we see the plan completely fall apart with the destruction of the Rebellion's army and the near mutiny of the crew against Kelsier. Whatever shall they do now? Dun-dun-dun! Oh. Nicely done. There Nicely we go. Nicely done. So there's our recap. Three paragraphs. I'm impressed. Yeah. So that's Brandon what Sanderson we... Sanderson took 350 pages. You took three paragraphs. You know, I'm very skilled. It's... It, <laughs> A diamond in the rough, you might say, if we're oh, sticking with the Aladdin oh, theme. Oh, wow. Jafar, Jafar, please get me off from under this. <laughs> um, so, as has been mentioned before, I and Ryan have read uh, Mistborn before. This is my, it's at least my third time. Maybe my, my fourth time through, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan, this was your second time through. Yep. And we both loved it. Um, and so we wanted to get somebody in who had not read it. Todd, you are that someone today. I was the guinea pig. And uh, so how did you enjoy this section so far? How are things going? Uh, you know, it, 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 interesting uh, for me, for me, I always kind of uh, when I when I read a novel, especially when I read a fantasy novel, um, the first little while tells me uh, oftentimes whether or not I'm going to enjoy the book or the series as I'm starting to figure out the rules of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brandon Sanderson spent little enough time dealing with the specific rules of the world that I instead got very involved with the characters very quickly. Um, really enjoyed um, looking at and, and, and following through some of the character development that was going on. It becomes very obvious who the, who the two primary characters are going to be and which one of those two primary characters we really are going to follow. Um, mostly because I think the, the, the hero's journey is always about a, a developmental journey. And so it becomes very obvious. Uh, I think that Vin is the one that we want to watch uh, and that we are, we are seeing a mentoring relationship. If, if Kelsier is Obi-Wan Kenobi, Vin is certainly the, the Luke Skywalker of the group. Heaven forbid that I go back to a Star Wars metaphor. I'm wearing a Star <laughs> Wars shirt, by the way, just in case anybody I out just, there in radio. I thought world you like always see. were wearing a Star Wars shirt. I, I don't think I've ever Pretty seen much. you not wearing Pretty one. Pretty much. Well, except at Comic Con, I was wearing Green Lantern one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just I fell in love with it. it took a little while to get moving. Um, it it's, and and I'd say that's to be expected uh, for you know, especially when you are introducing a world and a system you know a political system a magic system that's completely 
uh, completely out of left field. For yep. most readers, this is not something that you run into on a, a daily basis if you're reading a ton of fantasy literature. You know, this is this is out of the out of the box. Most fantasy literature, um, your at least my experience with with fantasy literature has been that um, there are distinct pieces of the process. They separate themselves from each other. Um, magic is magic. Economics is economics. Politics is politics. And while they may uh, be intertwined with each other as far as individual characters, they're not necessarily intertwined in the plot. And that was very different in this. They are they are heavily intertwined um, and interdependent in the in the entire plot and in the entire setup. And so, yeah, it took a little while to it took a little while to get under under steam. But once it got under steam, oh my goodness. Um, it, it takes it, off. It, it's a goes. wild train ride, and I enjoyed very much enjoyed it. Yeah, up yeah. to the point that I was sitting in a uh, booth having lunch with my wife, and I looked at her and I said, "I can't talk to you. I need to finish the book." <laughs> I'm sure she appreciated that. Uh, actually, she did. <laughs> um, oh, that's right, because she's reading them as well. Uh, Ryan, now Brandon Sanderson is uh, becoming rapidly in the last few years very famous for his world building. They say, you know, this is this is a man who knows how to construct a world. Do you agree with that? Is there anybody that you can think of who's better at it or who you would compare him to in a favorable or unfavorable light? The most, uh, the best way to showcase his ability to create worlds is actually to, uh, to notice the fact that he took over writing probably one of the biggest worlds that was ever written mm-hmm. um, when he took over the... Robert Jordan series. We Not to time. say, yeah. I mean, there's there's a, a larger legendarium of information, so to speak, in uh, Lord of the Rings and some of the other ones like that. But in terms of the specificity of, of a single world entity, uh, he got handed the reins of a major task with that one, and there's a reason because he is so good at what he does with that with each of his uh, book series. And I think it's exactly what Todd was talking about: understanding the the interplay between uh all the different elements of that world building so you know somebody could write a book uh you get you get thriller books all the time mm-hmm. uh, modern modern thrillers that are written by maybe a an ex-politico or maybe a navy seal or a banker or whatever it is and they have their area of expertise and you can tell when you're reading that book they they know what they're talking about in that area but it takes a real talent to to get a grip on all of these different areas of uh, not just an individual's life, but a nation's life and, you know, the pulse that comes along with that and be able to, to uh, put that down on paper and, and help us understand. Yeah. I was, I, I found it really, um, the, the, the things that I, the, the one thing that I noticed uh, early on is that his desires to spend time on minutiae, uh, was was not it was not significant. There are other writers that spend a lot of time talking about lots and lots and lots of backstory pieces. Why this happens? Why this happens? Why this happens? Where it comes from? Blah 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 blah. Which, as a reader, can become a little bit tedious, a little bit time consuming when you want to get on with the action. Um, and instead, uh, Brand- Brandon seems to deliver little tidbits along the line. That, uh, in fact, I got I got to the end of. I don't. I think it was. I think it was the end of section three when they introduced the Kandra in House Venture, and I went Kandra. Which 
hey, wait a minute, go back. Did I find that anywhere else? And I'm reading my electronic copy. And so I was going through mm-hmm. trying to find Kendra. No, no, didn't find that anywhere up to that point. He was, and and he and, does a wonderful job of, le- of of lacing these things in as though they are common everyday kinds of occurrence. And it hooks. Well, and it, it takes a patient and trusting reader. Yeah. Because there are many, uh, including one person I know right now who is currently <laughs> reading the book, who get frustrated with that sort of thing. They need to know every time something comes up, they need to know every detail about that yeah. particular piece. Yeah. And so when they see, oh, what's a chondra? Uh, I, I don't know anything about that. Oh, I'm lost. I'm going to give up. I'm lost. And so you need to trust that the author knows what he's doing. You are not going to stay lost. You're lost for a reason. Yeah. You know, maybe because the character that you're supposed to be seeing this story through uh, is lost as well. You know, something like that. But, yeah, it comes down to trust. Very much so. Um, you were you were mentioning um, world building. I think that um, there... there are a few examples of world building that are quite as expansive and interrelated uh, on on multiple levels as Brandon has done. Um, there there are a few examples that are even close, uh, but one of them I would say would be Frank Herbert's Dune series. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, it falls more into a, a science fiction environment, so a lot of fantasy readers will never read it. Um, Which is bizarre to me, by the way. Yeah, you know, it's one of those one of those artificial barriers that we put up. But um, I th- I think if if we're looking in in contemporary uh, contemporary literature and and the and the kind of the kind of detail and care that goes into setting that up, I think that's you know if if there was a reader out there that was saying you know well will I like this, my response would be if you like Frank Herbert books, you would really enjoy this book as well because it's the same kind of of meticulous detail. But one thing I think Brandon Sanderson knows how to do is keep the story moving. You yeah. Know, versus it, a Dune that, and in places it's like you're reading freaking Moby Dick or something. It's, you know, let's go. Yep. Um, I would, so I would this, very much agree with that. This one goes. Have read them all? Part of, well, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> I can't claim that. But part of the, the appeal to this, uh, the, both the world building and the storytelling is that, like you were saying earlier, Todd, it concentrates on the characters. Yeah. He makes you uh, want to get to know the characters. He helps you along. He kind of introduces you to them. But he does, you know, whether it's introducing characters, uh, magic elements, plot elements, political stuff, he does that in the context of the story. Yes. So there are very few places, I'm not going to say they don't exist, but there are very few places where he has to pause and Tell the reader, okay, so here's why this thing works, or here's why this is important. Yeah, if, it's it, it all fits very seamlessly together in, in the fact, story. His his narrative um, feels very genuine. Sometimes when you when you get a book that tries to do those kinds of things, uh, authors take a very heavy hand uh, at 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 giving at, at making it very clear that they are condescending to the reader long enough to give you this information because otherwise you won't understand the rest of my work ha 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 and and, and Brandon uh the the thing that I really liked about Brandon's style was that his narrative to deliver those pieces of information was a genuine narrative generally between characters as the characters were discovering these pieces of information as well um again going back to the Kelsier Vin relationship um, a lot of things that the reader was learning, Vin was learning, and so it made a tremendous amount of sense for this exposition to take place 
but it could be done in a way that was not condescending. It wasn't it wasn't a, an irritant to the reader. It moved the story along to do it. It wasn't an it wasn't an interruption in the You're story. You're not pausing. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was really well done. Yeah, agreed. Um, now I want to talk about the individual characters in a little while, um, <laughs> but first I feel like we need to stay zoomed out a little bit, um, and I, I just want to talk to you guys about the magic. Now, now this is not magic. The, the word magic is never used in the book, but you know, commonly understood. Yes, this is a magic system of sorts. Uh, Any technology sufficiently advanced by a, a lower a lower civilization will be indistinguishable from magic. That's exactly. That would be the whole point of the Lord of the Thank Rings. Thank you, right? Isaac Asimov. Um, so, uh, let's see. I think I've asked you this, Ryan, already, but have you ever seen uh, a magic system like this or anything nearly so cool in the video game era? <laughs> nearly so cool? Uh, that's, that's completely subjective. <laughs> it is very cool, um, and it is very unique, and that is hard to do in an era of magic, uh, and in comparison there. In the video game age, there's... There's a lot of interesting uh, approaches to things. But do you know what I mean? Like when when you're reading about uh, this magic system, it feels like you're playing a video game. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. That might sound like, oh, it's a cheap way of doing things. But no, it's not. It's very exciting, very visceral. Yeah, but and it works. Even The thing, thing is, to degrade something because it is associated with something that you consider a lesser form does not take away from the fact that it is a good idea in and of itself. Right. I mean, it's a very basic idea. Pushing, pulling, burning different things to get that So, ability. yeah, maybe we should explain anybody who's, you know, not read the book yet. Shame on you, first of all. Uh, <laughs> but, but I've already told them, like, everything that goes on in the first two-thirds of the book. That's true. I mean, so, uh, yeah, a, a, an allomancer would ingest metals, burn the metals, and that would give them one of generally eight powers. Um, so most most uh, allomancers can burn one of the metals. Mistborn can burn eight, all eight of them, or all ten, or twelve, or whatever it is. Um, and and each one gives you a separate power. So everything from, like I said in the intro, like you can make yourself a magnet. You can make stuff fly at you, metal fly at you, or metal fly away from you, um, or you from it. Uh, or you can even manipulate people's emotions. Um, and your own physicality. The the real beautiful thing about the system uh, is its simplicity to understand for your first time there, but there is enough depth there for you to pull to really be amazed at you, to know this is a very well thought through system yeah. because it's really pretty simple when you're first reading it. Oh, they burn this, they can push things. They burn that, they can pull things. Well, you really start to, you read through it, and as the different people are teaching Vin about their their specific power so that she can learn the eight different metals you get to start understanding the the depth of the ma- uh, magic there are external magics there are external uh elements things elements. that act on internal there are pushing there are pulling yeah. and you can break it down into this into this great chart of you know when when we were at comic-con we attended a, a panel in which uh brandon and several other authors talked about magic systems and how they create them etc uh, when it came time for Q&A, I had my question ready to go, and then it got ruined, but I'll, I'll mention who, what it is. Who now. ruined that? Not you. I mean, it wasn't you, but they, they talked about my question after you asked yours. Um, but my question was, uh, one of the other authors, whatever his mentor's name is, I can't remember. Uh, Dave? Dave Farland. Dave Farland uh, had said something about how you can't make 
a magic system too scientific or too rigid, you know, because then yes. it gets too, you know, it's too predictable, it's too whatever. Um, you have to have some logic to it, and it must have boundaries and limits and whatnot. But, so so then my question, I jumped up as soon as they said, anybody have any questions? Because I wanted to say something about, hey, you know, this Brandon Sanderson's uh, Allomancy is very structured and very rigid. And then they totally ruined it after you asked your question, whatever it was, because he mentioned um, exactly that. And then uh, Dave says, well, you know... Yeah, this this Alamancy is very rigid until you get to the back of the book and you see all you know a couple question marks. We know what all these eight metals are, but then there's a couple question marks and yeah. it leaves that mystery. So it's maybe not so rigid as we thought, and there could be things coming up and that there's still a, a little bit of mystery in the sense of if you really get down and dirty with it, how do they burn metals in their body? Are they talking just like digesting, like the way you burn calories when you exercise, or are they talking like? Is it a melting of the metal? There's, yeah. there's more to it in there that's kind of like, I can't explain everything, but I can explain what that thing does. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'd never thought of that. Well, and the interesting thing, too, um, because I, I was mentioning earlier that I had attended a different uh, panel, an additional panel mm-hmm. that Brandon did where he indicated, um, I guess it's fair to, to say, um, that the Mistborn trilogy is one of three trilogies. Um, that that he had talked about, and one of the one of the other uh, pieces of the trilogy uh, actually puts it into a science fiction environment where allomancy becomes uh, the tool by which space travel is taken care of, which which makes my brain explode. It, 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 you know, like, pre-release of these uh, these yeah, books of these, it, it it but it makes it very clear that that while we may be seeing. Um, a, a level of rigidness in the way that he's treating the the process now. Um, you ain't seen nothing yet. He certainly got some things up his sleeve that he's been thinking about. In fact, in that same panel, he said that one of his uh, that he employs two people to maintain a wiki on a, a private wiki on his world uh, to make sure that if he ne- has any questions himself, he doesn't have to remember them. He goes to the wiki and pulls up the information mm-hmm. to make sure. That he remains consistent. <laughs> is what every writer of fan fiction ever does. Yeah, you, you have to. You you just have to because if you know if you if you introduce something, uh, everybody holds you accountable to it. Oh yeah. Um, and and while you know we, we see the same thing in in the lives of of some of our favorite actors who who become immortalized in fan, in fan cults with a role. Um, and then they're held to that for the rest of their lives. And for them, it was it was a job. It was a gig. They they memorize it and move on. Um, Brandon Sanderson takes very seriously, or seems to take very seriously, that this world that he has built is not just his. It's it's ours, and he wants to remain true to what he's built for us. Yeah. But it does evolve. This this is jumping way way ahead into his second trilogy series, The Alloy of Law. Um, I I was reading that one. Um, to see how Alamancy has changed in in his storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he inter- read he read some excerpts from that at the panel. Yeah, it's cool. It's it's amazing to see how you take these original strict rigid rules and then you apply a new set of problems to them and how the entire form alters a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. the Alloy of Law series takes place in kind of that steampunk western mm-hmm. feel. That is kind of what you get from it, and they deal with guns. Well, you don't have time as an Alamancer to push a bullet, you know, by the time you can see it or whatever. So what has he done? He's evolved it so that they they can just kind of push, do a little push bubble around them 
that will change deflect. the tra- well, yeah. it won't deflect but it changes the trajectory and the character says you're pretty much always just praying that it deflect that it changes trajectory enough to not hit you like well, yeah i thought i'm like this is cool seeing the, how this is altering and changing with every new set of problems approach the, i haven't even read with. that one yet i'm waiting to read it for the podcast so <laughs> uh, we are we are getting so far ahead of that ourselves that was almost my evil laugh <laughs> <laughs> um it uh Okay, so now that we've established the, well, the magic system, let's talk just briefly about the world that they inhabit. It's a kind of pre-modern um, fantasy realm with which many people would be familiar. Yeah. Swords and shields and bows and arrows and that sort of thing. Crossbows, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah. But it, it, the geography is nothing we're used to. This is not, you know, some weird prehistoric version of Europe or America or something like that, as far as I can tell, right? But this it's a world in, that's that's um, populated by several dark, uh, dense cities, lots of farms, you know, plenty of agriculture, but the dominating characteristic is uh, the ash mounds. Yep. And um, so there there are some things that are very different from our world in that it, this is there are constantly erupting volcanoes all around them ash is falling all the time and dirties everything up and the sky because of this is uh, a different color the sun is red plants are brown um this would be this would be a great Vin Diesel project if it were on film Oh yes it would you know something Yeah I had never thought of that but yeah it's very much a, a Vin Diesel feel. Feels, you know, feels like Pitch Black or something it like does. that with, you know, a movie that's Chronicles dominated by... Well, no, not Chronicles of Riddick. Um, <laughs> it's, but it's dominated by a certain color palette. And, you know, you can feel that coming through as you're reading, whether he's talking about the colors or not. You can feel that. You know, and, and one of the things that, that for me was interesting was that you, you felt it in, um, in, in the lives of the ska. Um, you feel it in, in all of the Scott, no matter where they are, whether they're in a city or they're in a plantation, you feel it, you, you feel this oppressiveness, um, this grayness, um, a, a despair, uh, an overhang of despair everywhere. And then all of a sudden you get introduced to, uh, you get Vin being introduced as a spy into the, into the families of the nobles and you get this glimpse of this splash of color, it was almost like I. It, it was almost like uh, Pleasantville. No, oh, yeah, um, sure. In in my mind, you, except not nearly so fascistic. Uh yeah, and not near so. Um, uh, not not nearly so heavy handed with the morality of it. Right, right. Um, but very, but very interesting that um, that her first conclusions, uh, Vince's first conclusions when she's wearing a dress, uh, are that you would never be able to get the soot out of it. Um, and then, you know, as you get to, as you get to toward the end of, of part three, she's not even thinking about that anymore. And she's thinking about the fact that she's not thinking about it. Really fun character arc. Yeah. I like her. Should we talk about characters? Sorry. I keep doing that to no, you, don't let's, I? No, well, that's, so the reason I've kept putting it off is because like you said near the beginning, it's all about the characters. Yeah. This, this isn't a self-indulgent project in world building or, uh, you know, magic system building. It's um, it, it, these things exist to drive the story of these characters. Which, thank goodness, uh, because how many times have we seen authors fall into that trap, where they, you know, they come up with a really cool system or uh, you know a, a really cool world that they want to inhabit, and they people it with these hollow characters who, 
you know, uh, are kind of two dimensional. Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> you know, and it's and it's not about the characters anymore. I, you know, if you want to go down that road, yeah, that's exactly why the prequels fell flat in Star Wars. They forgot this is about characters, not about the not about the stars that we're warring among. Right, um, and and uh, Brandon again. One of the things that. Um, uh, a, f- a friend of mine and I were, were talking about some some issues that revolve around, especially around fantasy literature, um, and especially in in some ways young adult fantasy literature. Which I'm not sure Mistborn is young adult, but it certainly is. Uh, it certainly is appealing to uh, an 18 to 30 year old audience uh, more so than than perhaps some other some other levels of of uh, fantasy fiction might. Um, but we were talking about the fact that that men writers. Um, tend to shy away from writing female characters. And when they do, they write them in ways that are relatively unbelievable to a lot of women. Um, these were his words, not mine. Um, I could, I could sense some interest in some, some wisdom in that, some insight in that. And I've, I've kind of watched how that process has run. And it was interesting to me to watch my wife. She's very discerning. She's very careful about what she gets uh, interested in, involved in as far as those kinds of things. And she's very, she, her, her first uh, statement to me was, I like the way that these, the, the way that this story runs. It's not a typical, it's not the, the, the typical romance stories that are being thrown around so much it's a good story with good characters. Um, oh, and there's some romance in there. And there might be a little bit of romance that gets thrown in. Right. And if you've read up through the third part, we you, you kind of recognize there's this hint. There's this slow burn, this smoldering that's going on. Um, heaven forbid I use another Disney reference um, <laughs> that uh, that is going on. But it's but it's it's not it doesn't become the focus point of the story. It becomes an element that the characters deal with the same way that we in real life deal with some of these different kinds of elements, including romantic relationships, including economics, including our sense of loyalty to our friends and our work workmates, um, and including our loyalty to family and sometimes the baggage that comes along with that. And all of these characters, um, I think Vin and Kelsier specifically, but the other characters too, Breeze and Dachshund, uh, Ham, they've all got these magnificent layers to them that make them just fun to read. And and multi-dimensional, thank goodness. Yeah, it's because when you, you are introduced to the characters uh, by their personality traits and by their powers, uh, you know, whether they have them or not, um, and then it's not until you get very far into the book that it becomes necessary or worthwhile to give you a little backstory, like with Ham. Who's, That's what I was thinking of too. I was thinking of him. You know, and I don't think even by the end of section three we've learned that stuff yet, but we will um, as we go through sections four and five. Like you know, where are these people's families? Why, where, where do they get the free time for all of this? Uh, you know, thieving and and whatnot. Uh, I guess free time is the wrong word to use, but you know what I mean. I do. Um, yeah, I, I, my train of thought is is gone. Ryan, say words. <laughs> Ryan's just sitting no, back staring so, at I us know, and Ryan, smiling. Just, his his mouth's on the floor, his drool's coming out. He's like, dude, you guys are still talking. <laughs> um Ryan, uh characters, good or bad, who's your favorite and why? Well the good guys you're led to believe are the uh you know, 
the the crew members, the bad guys, the Lord Ruler, based on you know what we've read so far. If that you know that never mind. The look on your face totally told me that everything I was doing was falling terribly flat. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone, for the last minute. I, I wish I could refund that to you, but... No, was... no, we don't. We don't. That was funny. I love uh, it. Okay, yeah, what... Okay. We're going to start taking pictures of what we do in here. Unsmoke whatever you smoked <laughs> and start over. <laughs> anyway, uh, characters, good, bad, otherwise... I'm not really sure the question you were asking me there. I'm still coming back. Yeah, it's, who's your favorite? So, for instance, uh, my favorite up to this point is the Lord Ruler. Uh, the reason is because he's so absent. It's It reminds me, you know, just like, Todd, you'll go back to Star Wars every time. I go back to the Lord of the Rings every time. Yeah. You think about Sauron, uh, who never really shows up no, in doesn't. the book in, in any way, except that his presence is felt over everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you never, uh, so he does, I mean, the Lord Ruler, we have his journal, we're kind of uh, reading through his journal a little bit, so Mm -hmm. we have that, but but he never shows up in a significant way, but his presence is over everything, and you, you can't ever stop thinking about who he is, what he did, what he's doing now. What he supposedly did. Yeah, exactly. What is he going to do to these characters when he finds out what's going on? You know, what are his powers? Why is he Mm -hmm. a god if he started out as a man? You know, this is is a cool little bit of villain, villainy, I guess. Villainizing. Yes, villainizing. Good word. Yeah, I'm sticking with it. So he's my favorite for those reasons. What about you guys? Do you have any? The thing with the Lord Ruler is... Anytime you create a villain that you're allowed to use your imagination to build fill on, in the gaps. fill in the gaps, yeah. you ended. You create a great villain. Um, that's not saying you can't just be like, "There's a bad guy out there." You know, there's there has to be the there's got to be a reason why he's not a framework that, there. He, that he exists yeah. in. Uh, for me, my favorite character, um, my favorite character in the series, my favorite character in this book are different. Um, my favorite character in this book is Kelsier. Um, I love Vin, I love Ellen and everything, but I love Kelsier the most because, uh, I don't know, I relate to a guy who's been through something that has cracked his brain a little bit, um, and he believes he has a plan, and he's really trying to convince everyone else that he knows what he's talking about, even if he doesn't entirely actually know that, and it's just, he purely goes, you know, he gets results, but it's his charisma and his his personality that really drives people to him um, and drives his his success and his abilities yeah i like kelsier too a lot it, it, when you talk about his charisma and that being kind of his leadership skill that reminds me of um reading ender's game which yes. is which is a book that's all about leadership and and um helping people to help themselves or getting people to follow you in some way and in this case it's yes, he is a very capable person with his you know magical powers and whatnot. But really, it's that charisma is all that it takes to get people to throw in their lot with him. It's, and and you know, and we've all at least I think we've all seen people like this with mm-hmm. just utterly magnetic personalities. But then you also see those who want to be leaders and lack this quality, mm-hmm. and they can never quite they can't they can't figure out what's going wrong and they can't quite get it right you know anyway i like kills here I about you? okay todd go favorite Sazed. character 
Sazed? 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 I'll play the audio book and find out. Yeah, really, because right? I have not read the audio book. I'm, I'm, I'm limited on my own pronunciation guide. I'm not even sure. Um, I, I, now, I will say, I, I think it was Brandon Sanderson said, I don't care how you pronounce it, just try. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I was... I was prepared for all the other characters. Um, they are, um, I, I, and and I mean this in no way disrespectful, but they are uh, templates. Um, having at least they start that way. They do. They do. They they start very much as as templated characters that we're used to seeing. We're used to seeing the the, fop, or, the or, orphan, the leader, the wisecracker, the philosopher. You the... you kind of have you, you know we, heaven forbid we ever call him a fellowship, but in <laughs> in almost you know from from the Terran Wanderer series, um, the Lord of the Rings up through uh, David Eddings Belgariad um, and Malorian series, um, you have you have characters that fill certain roles, and so I was very prepared for those kinds of roles, um, but Sazed. Um, for me was a departure and the reason that he was a departure was because was because of his um, role as a teacher to all of them not just to Vin not just a, a guide to, <laughs> to the wow um, <laughs> did that come through um, not just as a not just as a guide to Vin but also to Kelsier when when they have the the little interludes where Kelsier says, you know, tell me about another one, tell me about another religion, um, tell me about another religion that you remember, and and when he looks at Kel- when Kelsier looks at him and says, why didn't you ask me to join this one? And he said, oh, this one's not for you. I'm I, you you said you wanted to hear about one. I'm not sure it's one for you. Um, it was it it was it's very interesting to me that all the way up through this, he's a presence, he's available. He can do some very interesting things. We get exposed a little bit to it. We don't understand much about it. We don't hear much about it until we get further on. But there's a mystery about him. But there's also very much a writer's voice. And I feel like in Sazed, we're getting a real glimpse of Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, And I agree. of how he sees himself and what he sees his role as a storyteller is to remind us about the things that are good, to remind us about the things that maybe we have lost along the way and that we need to respect those things and that people need to be responsible to remember them because knowing where we came from, knowing what we came from, makes us better able to deal with certain things in the present. And knowing is half the battle. Okay, I wasn't going to go to the G.I. Joe. No, you know. G.I. According to the wiki entry, it is... Sazed. Oh, is that what you were looking up when yes. we heard some Say-Z. bizarre audio clip? It only came. It, that's that's how I always pronounced it when I was reading it. But I, apparently, I was, I'm a genius. I don't know. Uh, I've always done. It's been Sazed in my head, but it, according to this, it's Sazed. I will change that in my head. I think it's also. I think it's supposed to be Eland, but I've never been able to say that even in my head. Uh yeah, Christy, my wife said she's listened to the two of them on tape, and she said that she thought it was Ellen. That's that's what I've so, always done is Ellen. I don't know, and I said I it could as be, Ellen, I could be wrong. So um, one too many Star Wars or Superman comic books with Kal El. The the last uh, question <laughs> that I've got for you guys uh, of my questions, and you're welcome to bombard me as well. Um, when we talk about the writing style, we've talked a little bit about that. Uh, one thing in particular that is not original, but highly effective is the chapter headers yes um now 
this is one of those things where if you are an impatient reader or an untrusting reader, you're going to go, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? This, you know, these are bizarre and they have nothing to do with the story. Ugh. Yeah, ugh. They What's are the story. Exactly. I love them. What, do you like these, Ryan, or do, they, do you find them distracting? What uh, First time that I read it, I was, I was constantly trying to solve them. Right. <laughs> I'm constantly trying to solve Sorry. what they're what's going on with them and figure out okay, who is this talking? Why, you know, and I'm always led to believe, you know, I was always led to believe my first time through I'm feeling like this is the Lord ruler speaking. Um and I believe that it's kind of intended to be that way. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh my second time through reading through them, it is I will tell you, your second time through the book is a—it's another experience because all of a sudden you're picking up on these things. You're reading it like, oh yeah, I know, yeah, I know what's coming. I know what's coming up, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it—it uh, it makes it does make a difference. Actually, back to your long way back, your point about reading about the Condor for the first time. Mm-hmm. There is one time in the book where he mentions the name Condor, and I believe it was on accident. I think it might have. Just... I don't think. I don't think anything. No, I do. I honestly believe it's on. I, I think it might have been like an editing mistake or something because. Uh, it's on, it's in chapter 19, um, and it's just, it's, uh, it's Lord Renault sitting in the carriage, and he says, uh, it is who I am, the Condra said simply, and up to this point, we have not heard a single word about them. I think this is not on accident, I think this is very much on purpose, uh, and he's just, he's throwing that word out there so that you will perk up and go, okay, there's something more going on with this Lord Renault character than than we are, have been told yet. Mm-hmm. He's not just an actor. It's there's something called a chondra. You know, is that a type of person? Is that a new creature? Is that you know what is this? I I don't think that's on accident. Oh yeah. And and I think it's been well established that despite my loss of uh, lovely golden locks, I'm still a genius. Yeah. In your own mind. That's correct. In, In your own mind. And, and on this podcast, and now, and now in audio form. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Live with that, would you? Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I guess it could be an accident, but I just it's it's one of those things in my mind when I went over it the first time because there's no mention of it, and even up to I mean, you have to go a ways before you get actually a description of what mm-hmm. these. And I think there's one more kind of like that. Where there you is. Get the word chondra in house and venture, then you, and then you don't hear anything again for a while yep that was that was the one that got me was when they were talking about him in house venture see and i would feel it was on that it would be on purpose if someone is saying the word being that it was written in the narration and not in saying it that's what makes me think that he was writing the chapter and he wrote that name in there and then went back and went oh no i'm not possible in my (laughs) wildest fantasies we'll get to ask him that on the podcast one day wouldn't that be fun wouldn't that be fun um Okay, well, that's that's the end of what I want to talk about. Any points you guys want to bring up, um, things that we, we want to go over? Um, one of the things that I was uh, that, that I had kind of mentioned before is that the idea of the economic system is tied to oh, yeah. the political system, is tied to the uh, magic system. Um, and this this ATM is is kind of like this presence, kind of like the Lord Ruler. Yeah, this ATM is over everything. And that and that while all of the rest of the metals that we're familiar with gold, tin, copper, bronze, blah 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 blah, um, which all have relative value and and we attach relative value to them, um, that there's this ATM, and that that is so rare that it is the foundation of the Lord Ruler's power, but it's also the foundation of. The, the economic system because without ATM 
he can't control the noble houses. Um, this 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 interplay of of an allomatic metal being used as the piece that drives the economy. For me, it was very uh, again, it was very reminiscent of um, of Frank Herbert uh, with spice. Um, and the idea that yeah, there's a lot of ways to make money. There's a lot of ways to make money in that in that universe. But if you really want to make money, you made it with spice. Um, and and in this one, there's a lot of ways to get rich. But if you really want to get rich, you get ATM. And there's only one place that you can get it. And Colombia. Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> the Lord Ruler's <laughs> place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a it was a really um, I think expert way of making things feel even that much more real. Uh, and much and that much more relatable to me at least here here um yeah if, i feel like if i keep talking about stuff like that i'm gonna be wading into dangerous territory because i know where we're headed and you know and i, and I can't remember how much we know by the <laughs> by the end of section three so trust me i read it three days ago we're okay we're okay <laughs> All right. um well, it, it, do you guys have any other burning things that you want to bring up, or should we um, adjourn until until we get to uh, the conclusion uh, next week? Thoughts, feelings. Uh, <laughs> trust your feelings, Luke. <laughs> um, there's always one more Star Wars quote. Um, I think that's almost a Star Wars quote itself. I, th- I, you know, the one thing that I'm excited about in in setting the stage for the for the end of the book um, is the relationship between Kelsier and Vin starts to change right at the end of part three that Vin where Vin has been has in the past been um, the, the 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 scrawny urchin the one trying to find her way the one trying to figure things out she's starting to become Kelsier's um, conscience and also starting to become the voice of reason in this group that balances. And I think in large part that may be because of her relationship with Cezad. Um See how I did that? I remembered the name correctly. Nice. Um, nice. That she's starting to become the, the, the moderating voice of reason um, that has to help these gentlemen weigh their responsibilities as well as their opportunities. It's really I'm I'm excited about when I when I read that part where she says to Kelsier, no, you you cannot run off and do this. There has to be other ways. Um, and Kelsier says, you're right. There has to be another way, and gives into her wisdom even as he watches the army that they've built be slaughtered. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how that develops. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like okay. I said that. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little awkward. Um Ryan, anything else you want to bring up? No, I'm I'm We're pretty good? I'm pretty good. Yeah. I think we've we've adequately covered the the world of sections 1 through 3. Cool. Um well good. I then I am super excited for next week. Uh there's no way we won't go less than an hour because once the once the book is uh filled out as a whole and seriously once we get done with the end of the trilogy todd you're gonna freak the heck out um so yeah ordering them so uh, yeah we're gonna have some good times next week and uh yeah so i guess we're good uh finishing up next week mistborn week after that um comic books and kids brains uh i am super duper looking forward to that one as well 
and we will see all of you on the other side. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com.